Morning, church family. Morning. Rise and shine. What a blessing. Let me watch out for these cords. I'll probably trip and fall and hang myself on these cords up here. So, hey, if you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and just blessed to have you here with us to study the word together. And again, our service continues after the teaching right into the fellowship in the hall and the foyer with the Father's Bakers and everything. So don't rush off if I haven't get a chance to meet you before service here. Certainly afterwards, I would love to meet with you. So we're going to read uh, some scripture together here. If you would, please stand. We're going to read out loud together. This uh, scripture we're going to read is out of Psalm 29, verses 1 through 11. It's a psalm of David. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his, to his name. And worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Father, we thank you for these truths that we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's one book, a book written by you for us. And we thank you for your clarity and understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 10, we will be picking back up where we left off last week. In chapter 9, we saw the first woe, the fifth trumpet sounded, the bottomless pit was opened, and the bottomless pit brought forth two key things that is very important for us to understand. We see very clear the demonic forces of darkness is coming upon the land during this period of time in the seven-year tribulation. From the bottomless pit, the demonic locuses, like locuses, came out. And then we saw the second woe, the sixth trumpet sounded, and we see the release of four angels by the river of Euphrates that were released for a time. A time that we see in the scripture was right down to the month. Purpose, everything was designed for these four to be held back and not be released until this specific time. 
And when that happened, we also saw the army of 200 million horsemen come to torment humanity. We see that in chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. And they will wipe out one-third of the remaining of mankind that is still left behind. Remember, one-fourth have already been wiped out. And so we see the dwindling here of, yes, of mankind because of the destruction, the wrath of God upon this fallen world that rejected God prior to the rapture. And those that were not killed, and after all of this, what they've seen in the destruction and the loss of life and everything that's coming on, clearly they know this is the wrath of God coming down, both in the nat natural, like an earthquake, but of the unnatural, like the locusts. But what all of that comes to, you would think they were those who had been rejecting Jesus, rejecting the truths of God, you would think they'd come to repentance, but we see they did not. In chapter 9, they did not repent of the works of their hands. What were the works of the hands that they were not willing to give up in their lives? What were they not willing to give up? They were not willing to give up the worshiping of demons and of idols of this, of this world. They were, not, they were wanting to continue in their murderous ways. They wanted to continue in their sorceries and their drugs. They wanted to... The, um, uh, pharmakia is the word there for, for of, of, of sorceries. They wanted their drugs more than God. They wanted, to, they wanted their immoral sexual ways more than God. They wanted to be, continue to, to, to steal and to, to plunder more than God. That still happens today before the wrath of God comes upon this world. But it's now, even during the wrath of God in the seven-year period of time, they're still, their hardens become hardened. Just like Pharaoh, even with all the ten plagues, you would think they'd soften and realize, I've, even though his words said one thing, his heart was growing harder and harder and harder because their flesh wanted what they wanted so badly. that They wanted more darkness than light. And as the tribulation progresses and resistance seems to harden against the Lord even through and even though these people's pain intensifies, their lives are just are, are in pain and suffering. You'd think they would give and they would finally be broken, but they're not. They're getting hardened. Today we will see God gives John a vision a vision of the little scroll or the little book that provides a dramatic moment here in the story, in the account of the revelation and of the tribulation events that we will see here. We'll see again another interlude, another Let's take a break for a moment. Let's, let's, let's have an intercession here between the, the trumpets and going into the bowls. Let's have this moment between the sixth and seventh of the, of the trumpets here. And it's almost like God says, okay, the intensity is there. Let's, let's back off a little bit from the, the account here so you can take a breather to understand what God is working and doing and why he's doing this. Because he, there's the grace of God. He's trying to still get people to come to him. And so we see this vision is given to, to, to John to understand what is taking place in behind the scenes and around the scenes. And this event now takes place on earth. We see John receives this vision from heaven into this earth. And the Lord gives this vision to John. And so let's read here. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 real quick. And then we'll take 8 through 11. 
I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, John says, I was about to write this down. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. And we'll pause there. As we take a look at these first seven verses, we see that the Lord gives the vision to John a momentary relief of this dramatic and traumatic view of what is taking place. We see the horrors coming upon the earth because of the wrath of God. And John has just received this vision of events that take place on earth when the sixth and seventh, right after the sixth trumpet had sounded here in, in chapter 9, now in going into chapter 10, all the way to chapter 11, verse 14, will be this interlude, this, this take a break moment before the seventh trumpet or the third woe is actually sounded. And during this period of time, we see things that are bring, brought to light to John of what has taken place and will take place. It allows, again, the mercy of God to just be brought back to light. Because when you're going through difficult times, sometimes you do not see the mercy of God in that moment. You don't see the grace of God in those moments. And so there's a time where you're in the midst of that situation that seems so intense and so overwhelming. God will bring back us so many times from that situation to take a breather, to make and come back as a reminder that God is gracious. God is long-suffering. He is merciful. To get your attention so that he can give you, give room for you to what? To repent. To commit. To restore that foundation that seems to be shaky. You're going to come back to the truth and what is the truth of God. And we must have those and God allows that in our lives in every different degrees. And different degrees. But they're tests in our life. To refine us. But this is not just a simple test. This is absolutely the wrath of God coming upon this fallen world during this seven year period of time. 
The last time we saw an interlude was back in what? Between the sixth and seventh seal, back in chapter 7. And here in, in chapter 10, verse 1, John says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven. And he gives a description of what he looked like. He was clothed with a cloud. No, it wasn't a toga sheet. It was a cloud. What does that look like? I don't know. The cloud is a cloud in the, real, the, the language here. And a rainbow was on his head. And his face was like the sun. And his feet like pillars of fire. Each of those descriptions is a purpose. It describes the presence of God. Now, as you take a look at this, keep in mind, some believe this angel, this mighty angel, is referring to Jesus. I don't see that. Why? I'll give you some reasons why. So you can take notes of that. I believe this is truly a mighty angel. Like it says here in verse 1, another mighty angel. Another means Alos, it's a, it's a Greek word that means one of the same kind, the same kind of angel that was spoken in chapter 9 and also in chapter 1 and other places, Lord. It's the same word where we see Alos there or a, another means it was an angel, a mighty, we don't know which mighty angel. I lean toward, is it, was it the archangel Michael? He's a mighty warrior. Was it Gabriel? Those are the only two that we know of by name. But I believe somewhere in that case, it was a mighty angel, not Jesus. Now, some believe that, and that's fine. Why? Because they lean toward the fact that in Revelation chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, the description here that John sees is much like the description of Jesus. So if you just take it at first place value like that, you immediately think it's Jesus. But let me help you understand what I see what those scriptures showing here. The first reason why I believe it's a mighty angel, Angelios, uh, 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 is, is the fact that, it, in fact that the word another means of another kind. The second reason is, is that Jesus is never referred to in Revelation, nor in the New Testament, as being an angel. He was given many names, many titles in the book of Revelation, also in the New Testament, never angel. Yes, in the Old Testament, he was referred to as the angel of Yahweh or angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, but nowhere in the New Testament. Third reason we see in verse 6 when we get to it is that this angel swore by him that was, was, was literally making oath to God who lives forever and ever. Now, some of you are going to say, but, but God has made an oath to himself before. We see in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. But by this passage and in the context of what we're seeing, and it makes sense that this is an, a mighty angel and not Jesus. And so you can sit there and wrestle with that in your time with the Lord on what and who you believe this is. And as we continue through here, I again lean toward uh, it's an angel and not Jesus. But whoever it is, clearly this angel has come from the very presence of the throne of God. That you do, that's the part you need to make sure you understand here. Why? Because when we look at the, the definition of this angel coming down from heaven, it wasn't an earthly, it wasn't from the bottomless pit. This is a good angel, first of all. 
Second of all, it's clothed with a cloud. The cloud in the Old Testament and New Testament is very clear, speaks and witness of God's presence. That is why it's being given that description to us. We see in Exodus, if you remember, Moses bringing God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. We see in Exodus 13. It says he did not, in verse 22, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before his people. God's presence was there every day throughout the entire journey. We also see in, in Exodus 24, Moses went up into onto the mountain and, and, and a cloud over covered the mountain. God's presence came down and met with Moses right there. The, the Ten Commands was given to him. We see in the tabernacle, in Exodus 40, the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the, the, the tabernacle in the form of that cloud. God's presence was real. God, Jesus ascended back to the Father, if you remember the New Testament, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while he, they watched, the, 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 the apostles were watching, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And when Jesus comes back, his second coming, with you and me, when he comes back in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Clearly, the mighty angel here that is spoken is clothed with the cloud and it came from the presence of the Lord. And that's what John saw and was emphasized. He also was had this rainbow was on his head. Not only is the rainbow a reminder of God's presence to man, if you remember in Genesis chapter 9, verse 11, God promised Noah after the flood. He says, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. This angel, mighty angel, is coming back as a reminder of the covenant to the people of this world. Revelation 4.3, when we saw a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. Again, it reminds us this mighty angel is coming from the throne of God. The presence of God coming with great authority. With great power that God is giving him. And it's going to be over all of the earth. For this purpose of bringing on, he's going to bring, again, the wrath of God is coming. We see that the angel's face shining like the sun. We see in Revelation 1.16 where Jesus' countenance was like the sun shining in the, in the strength. The angel's feet were like pillars of fire. We see in Revelation 1.15, Jesus' feet were like fine brass. We have to remember the principles here. This principle, the more we are in his presence and spending time with Jesus, the more it will be a reflection of him in your life. Did you get that principle? 2 Corinthians 3.18 makes that so clear to you and I. 
But we, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as, the Spirit, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Does your re life reflect Jesus? Do people look and see you and, and, and a light of, from, of you, of, of the fact that you have been spending time with Jesus? Because you are, my life and your life will reflect what you spend time in. If you're in darkness, it will reflect darkness. If you're in light with Jesus, you'll be reflecting that light. There is no in-between. The apostles make that so clear in the address to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. We see in verse 8 where Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, these, these rulers of the people of the, and the elders of Israel, speaking the gospel, speaking the truth. He says in verse 10 of chapter 4, he says, Let it be known to you all that, and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. What was the response? What was the response in verse 13 of chapter 4 of Acts? It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized they had been with Jesus. My brothers and sisters, you and I today, as we spend more time in the Word and spend more time on our knees in prayer with Jesus, the more they'll look at you, especially me, and say, oh, he's so uneducated. He's so unlearned. He's so unsophisticated. He doesn't even know how to put an English sentence together at times. But I know by watching his life, he's been spending time with Jesus. Does your life reflect your time with Jesus? That can be a good or bad. Because the amount of time does determine how much you're reflecting Jesus. Just a Sunday. For a very brief time, I mean, I'm very brief, right? I'm, I'm just only an hour. I mean, we should go hours for your sake. <laughs> we should go hours for your sake, for some of you. Because the only time you spend time in the Word and actually hear the Word and think about and ponder on the Word is only for the hour. You need more time with Jesus. We all need more time with Jesus. Not only do we see a description of this mighty angel, we'll see in verse 2, he had a little book open in his hand. It's a descriptive, a little book, not a big book. It's not a closed book, it's an open book. It's a, it's a little scroll that has been opened up here in his hand. And, he, and we see in the, even the Greek that it could be the right hand that is referenced in the original language here. The right hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the, the land and cried with a loud voice when, as when a lion roars. It means a, there's authority, there's power behind that. When he cried out, 
you see a response. Seven thunders uttered their voices. You and I, in our voice, when it comes to the things of God, really have nothing to offer. When you just talk peripherally about the higher power, and, and there's a higher power around, and there's a, there's a, there's a connection to this, this force that we kind of... There is no power in those words. There's no life-changing power in those words. It's only when we speak with authority, which only the authority comes from the word of God. And when you speak the word of God to people, it's not you. It is because God has given you through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to speak God's word. And that is where the power comes from. That's what changes lives is the word of God. Not your stories, not my stories. Stories will not change a life. But the truth of God can. Matter of fact, the word of God gives us a promise, does it not? As we read and study the word of God, it will transform your mind. That was a big promise for me. This squirrely young man coming to Christ. I needed the, my mind to think differently than I was living and thinking my whole life. And I held on to that promise. As I spend time in the word of God, he will transform the way I think and view and see things of this world. And relationships and people. And no longer wanting the desire of darkness, but the desire of light now. No longer a false life, a false narrative that's out there that's just a, a facade, but actually a truth, a foundation. Understanding there is life after this life. That this is just temporary, and then we go into eternity. And there is a heaven, there is a hell, and the decision is, is, is presented to me, everyone, to, to choose life, to choose eternity with Jesus. But not everyone will choose, but I, we have been given that choice. And so we see, he, this, little, this angel had a little book open. And is this little book the same as the scroll that Jesus took out of the Father's hand and is opened up through the, the seven seals and it's now wide open? Is it that back in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 7? It appears not. John used different words to describe the scroll here versus the one in chapter 5, verse 1. The one in chapter 5, verse 1, the, the word there is biblion. And here the little book in this verse, in this chapter of chapter 10, is biblion. It's written very different. It's a different perspective. It's, I, I have always envisioned the one Jesus took out of the Father's hand and opened up the seven seals. It was a large scroll. It had to be open and seen. Here's a little book description in his hand. So the question is, what is this little book? We don't know. We don't know what the little book is. It, perhaps it's a, a short version of the of the arrangement of all things that were going to be proportioned out. But John himself will see and write about it. But he's hindered now. 
We see, he sees the contents. He hears what's going to happen. The seven thunders responded to this mighty angel. This mighty angel cried with a loud voice. It was almost like, it's like the lion roars. And the entire kingdom heard the voice of that lion. Meaning there's judgment coming. Again, the contents of this little book scroll this little book is nowhere revealed in revelation but this seems to re represent this verge of written authority we just know there's authority behind this and people respond these thunders these voices these responded to this voice Eileen, as I look and continue and we look into verse chapter 11 I lean toward what the the scripture tells us here Meaning that little book is like a probable design by God of, 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 of something that has been long concealed to mankind. And it's now being revealed to mankind what is going to take place through the tribulation time and maybe even beyond. But who knows what it means? We will find out when we get to heaven. But I know is that when this, this mighty angel came, he set his right foot on the sea and the left foot on the land. The angel's stance projects his authority over both land and sea. It covers the globe. And nowhere in the scriptures do we see where Jesus coming back in this, this type of manner where he placed his feet on the sea and on the earth prior to his second return, his second coming. We don't see that. We only see in Zechariah uh, chapter 14, verse 4, where he talks about how Jesus will return on his second coming, and that will be when he returns, his feet touches on the Mount of Olives. That we do know. But a loud voice, like a, a lion, is going to roar. It's, it's, it brings out the same in the scripture. Go back and read Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 30. Where the angel's voice of authority is like the Lord's we see. Here, I believe, this mighty angel is given the authority of like a lion to, to communicate to this world. And notice this pattern of sevens all throughout. The seven is symbolic of completion. We see this coming through. And these seven thunders are, are making an utterance. It's communicating out in verse 4. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But he heard a voice, not from the mighty angel, but from heaven saying, giving direction, saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. That brings a problem for most people. You tell them you can't know, the main thing you're going to think about from that point forward is what? I want to know. It's in the nature. Every time you say no, then you say, oh, I'm going to do it anyway. We don't want to go down that path. Why? 
I, I think we, give me a reason. I, I, I want to, re- you don't need a reason. I'm just telling you, you're not going to go. And is there a nature to just drive to find out the answer? So many, many theologians and commentators and other speculators are running wild telling you what the little book said. We don't know what that little book said because it doesn't tell us it clearly in the scripture. He just says to John, what you just heard cannot be written. We've seen that once before in Daniel, Daniel 8 area, where the words, you cannot, you can't, you can't produce that, Daniel. If you remember, as we take a look at this, these sevens, there's a revelation. There are three series of judgments. There's the seven seals, there's seven trumpets, there's seven bowls. And the fact that there are seven thunders reminds us one of these other sevenfold judgments. We see a pattern as we read through this. And the fact, some summarize. It may be that these verses and these seven thunders that are communicating out from that response of the mighty, uh, the mighty angel could be compromised, uh, comprised of a series of seven judgment that, judgments that God chose not to reveal. Can you imagine? By God's grace, there was going to be more than what we already know. We must understand the principle here. God tells us only what we need to know about the future and no more from the scripture. Are you with me? I know some of you are out there just doing all kinds of search on Revelation and reading all kinds of books on Revelation. And you'll get people out there who will want to sell your book on all kinds of insights that they have on this book. I encourage you to stick with the book. Stick with this book and just read the scriptures. Don't speculate on all the stuff that can go, goes out there and, and uh, creates things for their purposes that don't line up with the scripture. So what happens in verse 5? The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore to by him. Who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and then the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. No more delay. This is it. There's no return now. We're moving into that seventh trumpet, that third woe, and then the bowls open up. The seven bowls open up. It's that, that this is it. There's going to it's a, a continuation. We see the seals to the trumpets to the bowls. There's a continuation, a story here. And so we see the mighty angel gave a solemn oath declaring that the end of this irrevocable set in motion, there's a movement. There is going to be no more delay here. There's, no, there's absolutely no turning around now. Notice this. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, 
when he is about to sound the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Did you catch that? That everything that's been a mystery, things that we can read and see truth, but don't have the revelation from God yet to show us what that actually means in playing out. They were spoken to the prophets. In the Old Testament, all the way through, we see this is all laid out from the beginning of time. It's now the mystery of God is going to be finished. It's not going to be a mystery any longer. It's going to be declared. See, the biblical vocabulary, the mystery, isn't something no one knows. It's a mystery is something no one could know unless it was revealed to them. If you could know something by intuition or by personal observation and say, oh, I know what that is, then it wasn't, it wasn't a mystery. Because mysteries must be revealed. The mystery of God is seen in many areas of the scripture. We see the ultimate conversion of the Jewish people is called a mystery in Romans 11.25. The bringing in the fullness of the Gentiles is called a mystery in Romans 11.25. God's purpose for the church is called a mystery in Ephesians Chapter 3, verses 3 through 11. The living presence of Jesus in the believer is called the mystery of God in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2, verse 3. The mystery of God, Jesus dwelling within you and me as a believer. The gospel itself is called the mystery of Christ, Colossians 4, 3. So when you look at the context of our scripture here, we look at what he's referencing of the mystery of God. It probably refers to the unfolding of God's intentions of all the things that he has spoken of. His plan for this world, the plan for your life, the plan for the, the, the church, the plan for the, 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 the rapture, the, the, the second coming, the, the, the rapture of, the, of the, getting rid of all evil, locking up Satan. Every detail is coming out. The establishment of the millennial kingdom. The creation of the eternal state. The details that we do not know of how he's going to create the new heavens and the earth. The mystery of God. The seventh trumpet sounded by the seventh angel we will see in chapter 11 verse 15 appears to be addressing this moment fulfilled. If you read verse 15 it says... Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The mystery of God is going to come to a point where God will rule and reign. God freely acknowledges that life today is full of mysteries. 
but it will not always be so. A day will come when all questions of this age will be answered. Now, as we take a look at verses 8 through 11, it says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to, to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Now when we take a look at these last few verses of chapter 10 of Revelation, we see of interesting that the voice which I had heard from heaven spoke to John again. And this time he gives him an interesting commandment. He says, "Go take." That wasn't an option. Now put yourself in John's feet. You want me to go and do what with the mighty angel who has one foot in the sea, one foot in the land? Get out of here. You really want me to go do that? It wasn't a question of option. He says, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and the earth. So he what? He was obedient. I went to the angel and said, pretty please. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty. Talk about humbleness. Give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat. And take and eat it. No, he didn't say take and just read it. He says take and eat it. Eat the scroll. I know when you were probably two, you ate many books, your coloring books and everything. He has to take and eat it. And look, the, the angel gives him a warning. When you take and eat this, look, take and make note of it, it will make your stomach bitter. Really? But it will be, be as sweet as honey in your mouth. So we see an interesting th dilemma here, but in a, just face value, like what? You're going to take the scroll and you're asking him to eat it? It's not a figurative in regards to actually eating something material. He's, but notice here in verse 10 through 11, he said, Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. He didn't question it. He knew the authority told him to take and eat it. He looked at the mighty angel who had authority and says, you better take it. Take it and eat it. He gives him a warning. He takes and eats it. He doesn't, he doesn't go, wait a minute, I'm gonna, it's going to be bitter to myself. I'm not doing that. No, he didn't. He, he, he trusted God. And it was as sweet as honey. Notice it's reversed. Before the angel said it was about the bitterness, but it's going to be sweet in your mouth. 
Now here we see in the verses here, he takes and it is, it truly is sweet in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And then he gets another commandment. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This reminds us of Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The prophet was also commanded to eat a scroll, the revelation of God to Israel. So this is not the first time we've seen it in the scripture. And the act of eating the book means that John is to absorb its message into his life. You must take in the word of God into your life. If you're not partaking of this good food in your life, you are going to starve spiritually. You will not be healthy. Even in Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 16 says, Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Those are sweet words that Jeremiah is speaking here of. When he found God's word and he took it in, he consumed it. He assimilated it into his life. He absorbed it into his life, the word of God. And it became sweet, not only to, to taste, but it brought the joy and rejoicing in his heart when he took the word of God. In. Many people today do not have joy because you don't take the word of God in. Sometimes when you're... you're you find yourself in life so consumed by the things of this world. The junk food that is constantly being put out there for you to, to partake in. And you're just getting bloated. And so when the word of God does come, you can't even partake of anything. You can barely take, especially when it comes to meat. An hour's worth of detailed going verse by verse. Some of you have difficulty even consuming this truth because you've filled your life with so much Christian junk out there. Cotton candy or the things of this world that is just purely junk food. You can't even take it in because there's no room. Not you, but many people today can only take 15 minutes of a sermonette. Because you cannot consume what is good and healthy and right. If you're not simulating, you're not absorbing it into your life. Not just at Sundays, I'm talking about throughout the week, daily, to partake of the word of God. But the direction that the angel gave John should remind us of our responsibility to assimilate, to understand fully the word of God. To make it part of the inner man, the inner woman. It needs to be that way, my brothers and sisters. We must understand. It wasn't enough for John to see the book 
Oh, that's a cute little squirrel. Oh, it's open. Isn't that cute? It wasn't enough for John to see the book or even know its contents and purpose. He had to receive it into his inner being. And when he did, out of obedience, immediate obedience, he took that scroll. And he found it to be sweet, just as the angel said. But he also found that after he ate it, my stomach became bitter, just as the angel said. What does that mean? The angel warned him. There's not just sweetness here we're talking about. It's not just cotton candy sweetness for some people who that's all they wanted to partake of and to hear from God. I want to get there. Can he not talk about the gospel again, about giving his life, someone's life to Jesus? Can we just, didn't he do that the last, every Sunday? No, no, no. Can we talk about some of the stories that you're doing, Pastor, and all life and these things? Can we talk about life stories and, and feeling good and social opportunities that we can do and all these? You're just going to read the Word of God? We're just going to study the Word of God? Yes. I need to make sure you're fed. That is my role as pastor is to feed the flock, to feed the sheep. For you to understand what, how important it is you need this food. And yes, it's going to be sweet. And some of you are going, wow, I love the word of God. Oh, man, I needed to hear that. It's so sweet. And the same person who just said that 30 minutes later is saying, man, that did not, I did not like what I just heard. Why? Because the conviction or reminders that you think some things in your life have to change. Your inner person knows you need to change. You still need to grow. You still need to mature. There's forgiveness to be given. There's love to be shared. And you're having a difficult time with that little bit of truth. But he was warned and he took it. And it's just like today. It was sweet to the believer because it offered hope. My brothers and sisters, we not worship that today in song? Our hope? Where does your hope come from? It's so sweet when we read the Word of God because we can see hope. We can see hope in our life. We can see our future. We can see things that are so dark in this world. We have hope when we get in the Word of God. But it was bitter to the unbeliever because it pronounced judgment. That's when it becomes very bitter for people because they know there's judgment coming for the lifestyle, the life they're living, to choosing to go away from the things of God. There's going to be a judgment. There's going to be discipline for the believer. And then he's given that last commandment here. You must prophesy again. John, you must Whatever the content of the scroll is, and in, in connection with this, John's command is to prophesy to all. You're not to just give it to some, but to, to everyone in anybody, peoples, nations, tongues. Everyone needs to hear this truth. 
The gospel message we preach is also sweet and bitter, but we must go out and preach it. Because it will be sweet to those who receive it, but bitter to those who reject it and understand they're going to face God's wrath. And as we're going to be coming to the communion table, let me give you one more verse here. This eating, this consumption, the assimilation, and we see it in Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. My question to you. Do you this morning trust in Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus? Let us pray. Father, we again thank you and praise you for this, your message this morning. We do thank you, Lord, for as we open up your word and we study your word, that you just, by your power of the Holy Spirit, just reveal to us the things we need to hear. Yes, those things that are sweet. But yes, also to the things that are bitter, Lord. We can look and ponder on that alone today, Lord, to know the things that you have here is truth. And as we stick to your word and allow your word by the power of the Spirit to, to, to communicate with us. And you give us a message, that message that you give us to then share with others. We must recognize it will be sweet to some and bitter to others. But may that not hinder us to go out and to share the gospel, the good news to those who need help. And to share the the word of God to those believers, brothers and sisters in the Lord. They need hope. They need to be encouraged in their walk. May you use us, Lord. You've equipped us now. You equipped us this day, I pray, that we will go out and share the good news and the truths of your, of, from your word. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, it's not given their life to you, that today's the day they put their trust in you, their faith in you and you alone to be saved. I pray right now, Lord, your spirit is knocking at the door of their heart they can they they sense your presence right now literally in this place then those online as well watching from their home they literally you're touching their hearts right now lord and you are speaking to their hearts to say today's the day to give your life completely and fully to me not just the faith but the trust the 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 the, this this the power to be obedient, to live a life that is pleasing to you. As eyes are closed and heads bowed, if there's anyone here today that the Lord is speaking and you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to surrender all, raise your hand. I won't call you out, but I want to know who God is touching right now and is getting saved today. Raise your hand. Don't be hindering, don't, don't, don't be pushing back on the spirit if he's touching your heart right now to surrender all. That God is working in your life. Anyone here today to give your life to Jesus. 
Do you this morning trust in Jesus? That's a yes or no. If the answer is a vague, I don't know, then there's your answer. Give your life to Jesus now. And don't look back. Anyone giving their life to Jesus, raise your hand. Father, we thank you and praise you. Everyone here today knows you personally. We praise you. Anyone online watching, I pray if anyone's given their life to you, they will let us know so that we can send something for them to help them grow in their knowledge and understanding of who they're committed their life to this morning. And as we come to the communion table, and as the guys come forward, and we hand out these elements, I pray, Lord, as we take this cracker and this, this cup of juice, that it will remind us of the finished work that you did on the cross for all of us so that we can have eternal life. As we worship you, Lord Jesus, minister to our hearts. May we come to the community table not in a, in a way that would be unpleasing to you. May we confess all sins surrender all things that have been hindering in our lives, keeping us. We know if we've been playing Christianity. We know we've been in darkness. I pray today, Lord, you will just touch our hearts so we confess and repent before we take communion. May we come to the table and know you're, the blood from you on that cross washed us clean. Let us celebrate that. In Jesus' name, amen.